This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome. We are on episode six of Inclusive Collective. I am one of your hosts, Nadia Butt, and with me today is your other host, Rob Hadley. Hi, Rob. How are you today? Nadia, I'm feeling amazing. How are you? I'm doing good. On this week's episode, we are continuing our conversation of product development and marketing and branding and really like the nuances of putting these ideas to the test with consumers and how folks, um, how they come back for iteration and and take these learnings um, and uh, test and pilot with their consumers, get some feedback and really come back to the drawing board to really do it all over again. And Nadia, we have a fantastic guest in order to walk us through that process. We continue on our journey through the world of startups with Hoda Mayer. Hoda Mayer is the founder and CEO of StockCard.io. StockCard.io is a platform for individual investors to discover, research, and validate their best investment ideas and for financial creators to scale their brand into large fintech companies. She used to run large global strategy and operations projects at Symantec, Amia, and Sony Electronics before turning her passion for investing in investment research into a startup. When she was a teenager, she dreamed of building her own company. The dream was an ice cream shop. We'll learn more about that. Ooh, and it evolved, <laughs> of course, who doesn't? Uh, who, it evolved into a fintech platform as she grew up. A couple extra facts about Hoda. She is married to her best friend, loves hiking and baking, wants to be a yogi, always enjoys learning new skills, and adores dogs. Hoda Mayer, welcome to Inclusive Collective. Thank you so much for having me. That bio, uh, that, bio that intro actually brought very good memories. Thanks oh, for why is that? Why is that? Tell we us. Had, we had a really good time early on when we started the company, deciding on like what our mission is. And, you know, we I wrote a letter called Day Zero Letter, and there was no one. Oh. And my husband was making fun of me. He's like, who are you <laughs> writing this letter to? I'm like, I don't know. Somebody will read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I, I have read the Day Zero Letter, and I encourage everyone to go out and check out the Day Zero Letter on your, I think it's on your personal site as well, right? It should uh, be. I think on our yeah. website, there's like an About Us section yeah. at the bottom of that. Very cool. Awesome. Well, well, thanks so much for being here. It's, it's great to meet you. Tell us a little bit about StockCard.io. Where did the idea come from? What is the problem that you were trying to solve? And at what point did you say, I'm absolutely doing this? Yeah, so the platform as it is today, it's a place, as you said at the beginning, um, it's a platform for individual investors to find and discover their best investment ideas. 
sort of on, in parallel to that is for anyone who is a financial creator. So individual investors who decide to be a creator as well, and then maybe they create a YouTube channel or a Twitter channel or thread or a Substack newsletter. It's the place for them to connect with their community and also scale their brand into big financial or fintech uh, brands. So it's sort of a marketplace that not only allows individual investors to find and discover and validate their own investment ideas, but also for those who want to be community, uh, who want to manage a community of retail investors to be able to scale their brand. And um, the idea really didn't start as this, you know, I mean, uh, the mission from day one always was about better discovery and better investment research. Mm -hmm. And that really comes from uh, what I was doing when I was working as a uh, as a financial creator myself. So I had this Facebook group and while I was working as a strategist in technology sector, I had this Facebook community, 30,000 members in that community. And we would talk about a stock market at the point. Um, there wasn't much crypto investing or <laughs> something uh, like that uh, back then. This is like four, five, six years ago. That was my site hustle or side passion, if you say. And the idea really started from there. We had so many conversations around what to invest in, what's good investment ideas and things like that. And I always felt this need that people are enabled to make one-click transaction on a platform like Robinhood, but they're not enabled to do one-click research. Mm -hmm. So we, as a society or as a technology sector, we enabled people to click that button to buy and sell as fast as possible, but we didn't enable them to do good research. And the research piece is missing. Tons of information is available. You could make fast investment decisions, but the connection between decision and the information is missing. So it's sort of like a narrative way of saying that we enable people to make decisions, but we didn't enable them to make good decisions. And that's what we wanted to. This really came through very apparent from early convers from all the conversations through the Facebook community. And then I really decided, I think somebody needs to solve this problem. <laughs> and uh, that was sort of my, my foray into startups. That's really cool. How, like, your background is really extensive in terms of like the corporations you've worked in and your, your expertise and your experience. I'm curious how all of that coupled with like your identity or your background or your upbringing played a part in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I mean, it, my background uh, back when I was a teenager plays a big role in the company um, from two point of view. One is when I was a teenager, I would talk to my dad all the time about the world of business. So um, maybe a lot of father and daughter relationships are not around the world of business. <laughs> yeah. Ours was, and I remember so many, I had so many conversations with my dad remembering my dad preparing his um, his suit for next week during the weekend. I, back then, executives and managers would wear suits, you know, for, for right. the audience yeah. if they didn't so know. So right? he, worked <laughs> in, he worked in the business world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he was an MBA. He was, yeah, he was a manager. He was running multiple companies and things like that. So we would have these like long conversations as he would prepare for the week around how you would run a company and what is the what is a good company look like what is a good leader or i would read books that my dad were interested so there was no audiobook i was my dad's audiobook so i would read chapters of the book for my dad i remember the, the book that is called uh, it's a very classic book in mba programs I, I believe it's called lost goal or lost mission 
And I remember reading that and tons of like Peter Drucker book and tons of that kind of stuff. So anyways, those conversations in that background gave me this aspiration for like, I want to run my own company. Mm -hmm. And it's funny at the beginning, uh, I wanted to have an ice cream company, an ice cream shop. Uh, That was like my thing. That's like so down my alley. (laughs) Yes, right. I mean, I guess when you were like 14 year old or 15 year old, that's like the the imagination that that, that you have. It's like, what is so good? And what, 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 you know. Incredible margins on ice cream. Are there? Yes. Incredible margins. Yeah, you could, if you get a little bit creative, I'm sure there's tons of good ways of um, getting great margin. But yeah, it was an ice cream shop, and then it was a bakery, and then it was a rest. Like in my in my okay. mind, right? It was a, a restaurant, and then uh, at some point it was something else. Like over the course of years, it evolved into so many things. All the way when when actually I started a company, it became a fintech platform. So it's a big I evolution. Love it, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, but the seed was built there and then back in those conversations of like I want to have my own company and run my own company so yeah that's sort of like my childhood I guess impact on finally starting my own company I'm surprised it took me so long though like I'm working in corporations for 15 years um, before I actually start my own company so that's the whole story yeah what was actually I know Rob you probably have a question but now I'm just so curious because you brought up um what 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 was that like spark? So like you worked at these companies for a number of years, you said, and like, did something happen? I know you said like you had the Facebook community and there were questions that people were posing there and there was ideas being shared. But was there like an actual spark that occurred where you were like, I'm done with this corporate life. I'm I want to go out on my own. And um, and then thus the idea form like was could you remember back to like when that spark occurred? Yeah. I mean, the reason I didn't really start in that 15 years of corporate life is because I was Im- busy immigrating from countries to countries, okay. you know, you where, know, so where I, were you I, coming from, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. So I originally was I was born in Iran and I went to school in Iran and then I, I, I worked in the Middle East for a while and then I moved to Canada and then um, I studied there and then became a citizen there. And then I moved to the U.S. and then became a citizen here. So when you basically go through that experience, it's very difficult to also feel the stability that you can now start a company, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of me not starting was was just like busy getting used to the new countries and new culture and, you know, whatever that it takes for you to, to start new in in new environment. And then the second thing is I actually... My husband and I, at the time, my boyfriend, did try to start a company right after we finished our, uh, I finished my MBA, he finished his master's, and then we, we couldn't raise enough money for that. Uh, so that was also like, we did try one time to start something, or I tried to start a company and that didn't work. And then we realized, okay, we better go and establish our network and establish our, you know, financial, some financial stability, uh, then, then start. So over the course of years, we always had this notebook that we would write our business ideas uh, on it. So we had all these ideas. Um, and then uh, when I was in the United States and I was working at Symantec at the time, uh, but that was really when I got very, uh, really, really adamant about, okay, I have to do this. And there was a few things. One was sort of the framework of regret minimization. I asked myself, okay, I've been waiting for this and I haven't yet started for a long time. So if I'm like 90 years old, would I come back to my 30 year old and say, 
why didn't you start a company? Yeah, why are you selling from The regret could be so real, right? Like, it could be very real, right? Yeah. Uh, that was one. And then the other one is just like what was happening in the Facebook community mm-hmm. and what was happening in the world of investing as I was always an investor and it was really bothersome to me to see a lot of people don't make good investment decisions and it was very easy for me to see why. It, and we talked about it, right? People can transact very fast. There's tons of information is available, but there's no enablement in terms of good discovery and validation of investment ideas the way I thought it should exist uh, in the world. And so, you know, we talk about that. Go back to those, those the early days of building that product, right? So, I mean, I think about you're creating a product that's simplifying something, right? I mean, either investment information is, is too simple, right? It's, uh, it, you know, there's balloons and things you know, in the background, or it's like overly complex and dry, right? So it it takes a ton of work to actually get that, what, you know, what you've built, right? And you really have to iterate and go through that product, right? And uh, as you're building it. So I just wondered, you know, what would that process look like for you? Uh, You said that what you see on the side today is not what you started with. The idea is not what you started with. Talk us through that that evolution of the idea and what you have today. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say we're still iterating, right? I don't think I don't think if you, I don't think you could grow fast as a startup or be a successful company, even if you were a big company without iterating. Mm -hmm. So when you stop iterating and say, I found the golden product, you're going to lose your edge very soon. So I don't think good product development, especially in technology sector, and especially the ones that are like consumer facing can ever stop. So I, I think that's just the foundation of a good product. You have to always iterate. Um, but when we started, it was very interesting. So I am not a, a technical person, right? So when I started, it was only me. And I couldn't just like go start coding and like build something right. up, right? I did try to learn code, by the way. Oh, Actually, cool. I, had, yeah. I had asked my brother to teach me. And like we would do a session every every week. And then at some point, I'm like, okay, I think my time is better <laughs> spent doing something else. This is going to take five years There's, for me to Yeah, write. the ROI is not very high on that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so what I did was I, st- I started thinking about what I can do. And then I said, well, I know how Google Sheets work and how Excel works. So and my product is an information product, mm-hmm. per se. And so I started from Google Sheet. And uh, the very first version of the product was a Google Sheet. And then I went and used Weebly. And at the time, Weebly was not bought by Square. It was a standalone company. And it's a drag, like it's sort of like Wix.com or something like that, like a drag and drop website building. So I I created a website and then I linked it to my one Google Sheet, (laughs) which was an evaluation of the simplification of investment research for Amazon uh, stock. And and then that's Single stock. Single thought. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and Amazing. then I started like just sharing that. I'm like, what do you guys think about it? Is this simplifying your investment research? There's nothing else. And we started getting a lot of feedback and conversations from actually we got we started not getting a lot of feedback. We got some feedback from the Facebook community. This is all in that Facebook community. Who's in that then, Facebook community? Like primarily who? Like people who is it retail investors, okay. individual investors? It's basically individual investors who are just looking to research and okay. get ideas or do they just like enjoy having fun and talking, investing, yeah. right? As, as a side hobby, I guess. So yeah, a Google sheet on Weebly, then it turned to a PDF. So we started like getting a little bit more visualized. And then I said, well, I can make a PowerPoint slide and then save it in a PDF. 
and then and then in in pdf you could do like a scroll motion mm -hmm. so you could like do hyperlink and then it faster scrolls to something which sounds like click feels like a click yeah, movement totally uh yeah so we uh i then i created a pdf and then maybe there was like 10 pdfs on the bb website so it was like an icon and then people could download the pdf and then uh from there it all started then i found a developer and then we started coding and uh, it was all looks and no backend. Uh, so I clearly remember <laughs> we would hard code data, copy and paste from Google Sheet into the actual code, oh, hard code data. And then I did learn some right. coding. I mean, some yeah. coding meaning. Enough, copy, yeah. Yeah, copy pasting things and pushing things live. It's not coding, right? It's, it's like, more than I can do. How could you push a, push a, how could you change a thing into a code and into like a front end code? No, no back end, obviously. And they like push it live so that people can actually see it. Uh, so that was like for many months, we were just copy pasting, hard coding things. And then we realized, okay, this is. Uh, this is interesting, people are interested in, and all along we're capturing feedback, right? Obviously we're not doing this in like isolation, we're, all along we're capturing feedback. The elements of the PDF document first, and then the elements of what went online keeps, kept changing, right? We kept adding things, tweaking, changing the way we're adding things. So we started adding a request button. This is now 2017. We got haunted on Product Hunt. In one day, we got like 3,000 requests wow. for, for these hard-coded, uh, non-scalable things. And then we were like overruled, like, there's no way I can publish, co copy and paste 3,000 things into like, into a hard, and we are like, okay, we're going to send an email to all these people and we're saying, well, yes, you did request, but I, we're going to prioritize the, t the most requested one and publish the first 50, and then we will let you guys know when we have the rest. We, there was no way we could do it, right? Like we tried, we started doing it and then like it would take about two hours to refresh something, like copy paste things properly and make sure everything looks good. So 3,000 requests times two or two hours, like I would be still doing yeah, it. Yeah, you're working on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally trying to publish things. Uh, so then we were like, okay, we need to make this scalable. Um, so we added an API connection. What's an API connection? API connection is that instead of copy and pasting, you, you buy your data, your raw data from a data provider, and then you create some sort of a schedule uh, that would automatically go and pull that data. And then you would build the, um, uh, all the required steps required for your product to get all that data and then like visualize it the way you want it. Right. So that's what we build. And then at this point, we obviously need developers, right? They, they, it's totally out of my scale at that point. It's like, yeah, I did try to figure out what API is and how you would get it, but then and what's an endpoint and how you would pull the data. But there's no way I could build it by myself, right? Uh, basically, we added a developer. I guess that's sort of the very early on iteration process that yeah yeah there's there, there's so much learning there right like everyone should hear that story that's 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 trying to build a product right in terms of if you had waited until it was perfect uh before you were launching your product you'd still be figuring it out on the, right now right it, it wouldn't be built to this day but you just you started you know super simple and iterated 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 until a point where you actually needed to hire a developer right and so were you still bootstrapping when you hired the developer yeah, so that's actually another uh, reason we went through these very iterative process is because we were bootstrapped and we're still primarily bootstrapped, although we do Wait. not have investors. 
for for folks mm-hmm. our listeners who don't know what bootstrap is what's that lingo mean it means that you would rely on your own funds or your own revenue okay. so you don't bring external investors okay. to grow the company to build the company okay thank you and i think it's just sort of yeah it's just sort of it's a blessing in disguise it's very difficult to bootstrap a company or product off the ground because then you have to pay first of all you don't have to take any salary because it's from your one pocket to another pocket so you can't really pay yourself (laughs) that makes no sense but then you have to pay your team for sure and then that means you have to be very careful about who do you pay because you don't have the luxury of oh i mean let's try this and let's try that you're like what is the one thing that moved the needle for this product and i am only gonna pay for that because there's no way i'm gonna pay for anything else right this is from this pocket that is not um that's not unlimited so I think the fact that we were uh, bootstrapped at the time and had no revenue actually helped into our product development and iterative process because we really, really focused on what what's going to move the needle. We did have this thing on our, I read my screen. Uh, I had this little note, the the, the sticky notes yeah. <laughs> that says what what's moving the needle. And that was always, uh, I, I'm like, this thing we're doing, is it going to move the needle also? Is this like 100% priority yeah. and are we going to fund it or not? Uh, I, I had another question about in terms of like the product, right? So you talked about the product is for people that are are new to investments, right? And so I don't know if you said it explicitly, but but what role do, uh, I mean, do you, do you focus on women? Um, how explicit are you about going out and, and talking to uh, women in terms of like how they use the product and, and how effective it is for them. Yeah, it it's actually interesting. So I, it's a female founded, obviously product and I'm a women, format woman investor and I would have loved our product to be really attractive and helpful to women. But unfortunately only 15% of our users or 20% of our users are, are uh, women and basically female and the rest are men. Um, the majority of our community are men, the majority of our audience are men. I think it's just, I spend so many, so many, many hours on solving this problem mm. of why women are not investing. Yeah, I'm like so fascinated, like why you think from your observations being in this world, why do you think it's like a male dominated yeah. interest or like active, I don't know if it's like an active, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so that, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Interest, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, we spent so much time. I mean, I, I went to so many women conferences uh, in San Francisco as a speaker, trying to inspire women to invest. I even would offer one-on-one half a day coaching for free for women to kind of like get started in investing because I thought maybe there's some barriers there. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone in 2019, I had this personal aspiration to inspire 52 women to invest. So one per week, basically, to invest. I've done like, t- to be honest, I've spent so much time on trying to like inspire other women to do it. And then in the process, I've been trying to collect the information around why women are not investing as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't really have a good answer. A lot of it is cultural. Mm. A lot of it is just coming from traditionally women are more managing budget and managing household, take care of like things that are safe and make sure the household is safe as opposed to um, like taking some risk to grow the wealth of the company. Although it's not like applicable to it. Like there's a lot of women I know in my community that are investors and fund managers. And so that's basically that but we know on 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 a statistics but we see it from our own data there's less uh, female uh people who actually invest so it is cultural i've yeah. talked to people who would say 
it's not good to talk about. Like we, they were brought up as like the topic of money. It's not a polite topic or you wouldn't ask about topic of money or you wouldn't think about it. It's not the right thing. Or you shouldn't care about creating wealth because it's not a good, the good person does that. Like money is like evil. I mean, quote unquote. I don't know, that kind of yeah. book. So there is a lot of, there's like cultural, there is basically religious related, there's yeah. like family related. There's all sort of things that could, that results into it. And maybe women are a little bit more safe, want to be a little more safe, but they're more nurturers as opposed to risk takers. And investing is very much associated with lots of risk. Uh, so it could be that. Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating, Hoda, because um, for me, and I don't want to speak for all of my friends or all the women out there, but for me, I think it's because it's intimidating. It's just mm -hmm. the the world of investing and then also like taking that risk for long-term growth, right? Like taking this huge amount of money and putting it into a place where like maybe you need it short-term and not able to kind of let go of it long-term. But I guess my question for you is how would someone like me or, or my group of friends, how would we engage with your product? How would we use it? Is it designed for kind of advanced and beginner folks? Like what would, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, the whole foundation of the product is to make it accessible to anyone with, with any background, without any finance knowledge, to be able to make an investment decision that is based on facts and data, and it's not mistaken. That's why we built the product, right? Obviously, an advanced user come, can come to a platform and say, oh, good, I, I usually look at this and this and this, and then this platform already took care of this and this and this, so I trust this visualization that is here, or I trust this screener that is here. But uh, for, for, a non, for a novice person, we've made it so, like when you land on a stock card, there's like literally no jargon. Everything is basically in the day-to-day -day language. And we made a lot of those sort of decisions to make sure it is accessible to anyone with any background. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I'm very surprised that why we still don't have like a good distribution of women uh, and men. And I think that's because just we acquire our users from the communities we are a first community, first or community driven product. And then where the communities are, are men in those, like the, the men are the ones who are in these communities. So when you acquire users from there, you obviously don't, you get a disproportionate uh, woman and men, um, I guess, user acquisition. Uh, but yeah, I believe, and that's our goal from day one is always been in anyone with any finance back, any level of background, with any level of knowledge should be able to make good investment decision. And we, we're basically, done the work so that it's accessible very cool yeah yeah uh, i did want to ask so you know when you when you interview someone you you go back and look at some of the things that they've done uh and and fortunately you kept a very clear record of the things that were happening to you as your company was growing right and so so thank you for that it made this very easy to uh, to prepare for <laughs> a lot of those early posts that you uh made about growing the company about starting the company they're very defiant they're like okay I know, you know, people, people aren't necessarily getting it, but I know this is a good idea and, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to plow forward and then contrasted to, you know, the answer that you gave earlier about iterating, pivoting, how did that evolve for you? What's the, what's the difference between just having that very narrow minded vision of like, I'm going to do this. And I know that I, I have the, the founder's insight that I know this is a problem and I need to get this done because it's important. And okay, sometimes I need, I need to make a change. How do you, how do you think about that? 
Yeah, I think my conviction that this is this is a product that's needed and I still believe the same that it's a product that is needed and I still think we need to solve the problem. The problem still must not even we exist, but it's not fully solved, basically. And we, we still need to work on it is I have conviction in the problem, right? But I don't have conviction in the one solution that I think it should be, right? So I think the conviction in problem just gives me or gave me from day one and still does the push or the drive to keep pushing forward, even if some other people don't believe in it. Uh, but I don't have any conviction about the solution. So I have some ideas <laughs> about the solution, right? But the solution has to come from the users. The solution has to come from the user. Not that the user's ever going to tell you what to build. But it's their response and reaction to the product that you put forward in front of them, right? So I, yeah, go back to it. I have, I absolutely 100% have conviction in the problem. I have no strong opinions about the product. And it is an iterative process because you, basically it's like this. You come up with a, you have an, you have a problem and then you come up with a solution and say, okay, we got to solve it in this way. And then you build what's known as minimum viable product, mm -hmm. something which was for us was whatever, you know, we talked about it. You put that minimum viable product in front of the users and the users will start interacting with it. At the beginning, a lot of it is just, oh, it's not designed well, or it's so friction, it's so many frictions. So still, they're not really questioning your solution. They're trying to just interact with your solution. So you start figuring out those frictions and then you solve it. And then the product becomes a nice product. And then you start looking at whether they're actually using it, how much, how much time they're spending. Are they actually solving their problem? Are they willing to pay for it? So for us, we, we started paid version of our product very, very early on. Some of it because we, we needed revenue. <laughs> and some of it was, I always thought payment from strangers is the most important signal of product market fit, mm -hmm. which, is, which tells you the user is willing to depart with say goodbye to their cash because they see if you are creating value this regardless of how crappy your actual product is you know because your crowded product is not the perfect product that you wanted to put out right it is being iterated so yeah you start looking at the data and see whether users are spending time on it spending their money on it and then are they coming back what is your retention rate and stuff like that and then you start realizing okay something's working and then you iterate and you iterate and you iterate that's awesome uh, yeah excellent um, yeah, so we like to ask everyone, what diversity, equity, and inclusion advice would you give to an entrepreneur um, entering in the startup space? I think from a hiring point of view or from your team point of view, it's very important to give chance to underdogs and people or chance to people who do not look like the perception of what you thought this person should look like. Mm. Because we all we all grow into this to this thing that the developer, it's the guy in hoodie or girl in hoodie, mostly guys obviously from because that's the perception of the society. It's a guy in hoodie that who lives in San Francisco mm. or like, you know, and comes from tech background. But that's not just definitely a good that's that could be a good developer. But any other profile could also fit into that. And then like a a good startup team means this and you have to have this like this kind of office and you have to look like this and you have to have this culture and then none of those stereotypes or none of those commonly accepted definitions are they, they could work but they're not exclusive to success and exclusive to that's the only way of doing things and for us we were some of it were by design and some of it by 
because I'm always, I always think I am an underdog and everybody under, they always look at me and they're like, who is this girl who wants to change things in Wall Street, right? Like, they underestimate you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always sure. underestimated. Yeah. So because of that, I always like, I always try to give chance to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I try to just say, there's a mental model in your mind. There's a mental vision of what is this person should look like. And then there's the actual person in front of you. And then you should just disconnect these two and see whether this person give a chance to this person. And it was very, it worked for us very well, because as a matter of fact, people who fit into that stereotype definition of, of a role ended up leaving the company and people who did not <laughs> fit into that stereotype stayed and created so much value for the company. Yeah, that's really that's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. Hadamir, this was an incredible conversation. We thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bros. It was a really good conversation, and I'm very excited to listen to the entire season of your podcast. Awesome. Very cool. <laughs> Hi, folks. We are back and at the point of our reflections, where um, Rob and I will reflect on the conversations that we just had with our guest, Huda Meyer. Um, Rob, I feel like I just learned so much from Huda. <laughs> like her conviction to solve this problem of one click research is so apparent. And, you know, it's such a massive problem to solve for. And I, what I really love is that she's leveraging this community that she built for testing her prototype and really getting feedback. And much of her conversation reminded me of our, if you remember our days doing lean methodology and really creating just in time, like services and products and piloting them and testing them with our, um, with our business partners. So what did you take away? What what did you think of the conversation with Hala? Yeah. I mean, I was so fired up and I really wanted to start a company after talking to Hala. It's like, she's, she's (laughs) very inspiring. And the passion and the stick to that she demonstrated in, in building this company is really impressive. I do encourage listeners to go back and if you you know want to check out Hoda and her page, I think it, it's on the stockcard.io site. Uh, you can get to her page where she blogs about the early days of starting her company. And it's just really impressive and it's really fun to, to walk through the journey with her. So I, I would recommend our listeners do that as well. So um, the things that you know, I really took away and, and things that I think that our listeners should, should be focused on, you know, first is listen to what the customers are telling you as you, as we went through there, right. And we had the, the conversation, I think some listeners will look at my questions and say, you were trying to get her to make the connection between being a woman and then the customers that she was serving or the product that she was building. And I really didn't want her to say anything in particular, but I was really interested in the, in the process. She said mm-hmm. she tried that. She tried, I don't know if you caught, she said she tried everything to get women interested in her product. Yeah. And she had to admit that at a certain point after trying everything, that her product didn't necessarily appeal to women uh, for whatever reason. And I think it's really admirable of her, right? I think it demonstrates that she was willing to listen, that she was humble enough to take that feedback, and that she was laser focused on finding product market fit. She didn't let her own biases and, and, her own convictions and, and interest entered into the equation as she sought feedback and listened to customers. So I think it's really important to to be very objective, look at the data and admit when perhaps the thing that or your hypothesis can't be proven out. That's great, Rob. Yeah. I, what? So what else did you take away or um, what other ideas did you get from Huda? 
Yeah. One other thing that I loved was she even was iterating on the team. So I also loved her advice of that image that you have in your head of the person that will be part of your team and will help you along your journey may not be exactly what ends up working out for you. So I don't want to give the impression that she was cycling through team members. Like she wasn't just like, yeah, I, like turning and burning I team members. I was going to say, Rob, don't, don't get any ideas here. You're not getting rid of me. Yeah, she was iterating on the product idea in that sense. But she did say that at the beginning, she had a person that really fit the profile of what she thought would be the right person for her on a technical side, and it didn't work out perfectly. She then, over time, she brought in someone who didn't fit her profile uh, of what she was looking for, and that person ended up being the perfect team member for her and the perfect collaborator. So I love that advice. I love the way that she framed it, and uh, I think it's really useful advice for anyone building a product in the early stages of their company. Absolutely. All of it is such great um, insight and learnings. And thank you for sharing some, um, also some tips and some suggestions for our listeners. So that is it for this week's episode. The Inclusive Collective Podcast is a production of Refillion Media. If you would like to hear more, we encourage you to listen to some of the prior episodes. We'd also love to hear from you. So if you would like to shoot us an email at info at refillion.com, um, we'd love to hear from you. And you can also find us on Instagram. Our handle is at Incl Inclusive Collective Podcast. Uh, and don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts today. Thanks, folks. Thanks, everyone. We will see you next week. <laughs>